Our Old Testament reading is Isaiah 49, 1-23. through 23. Isaiah 49, 1-23. through 23. This is God's Word. Let's give it all our attention. Listen. O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads and their pastors shall be on all the desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens. Be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes. Look around and see. All these gather together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. For your waste and desolate places in the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children you will have, after you have lost the others, will again say in your ears, the place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. 
Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me, since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive, and wandering to and fro? And who has brought these up? There I was, left alone, but these, where were they? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. And our New Testament text, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-10. through 10. There in Isaiah, the great theme of God's grace going out to Israel and to the ends of the earth. All the nations being called in to the, to, to the Lord. And, and it's, of course, prophesying when our Lord Jesus Christ came and, and accomplished the gospel and then poured out His Spirit and sent out His apostles to bring in the nations um, to Christ. And we see a, a glimpse of that happening here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 6-10. through 10. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of God has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray and ask him to bless it now to us. Our Lord God, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, grant us. What we are not, make us. We pray according to the image of your Son, renewing us by your grace, wielding your word in our hearts powerfully by the work of your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the best way to learn something? To learn something new, um, you need a teacher, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna learn something, and and, and a good way to to uh, learn from a teacher is to have a model, someone to show you this is what you do. Um, to have a coach, teach you how to shoot the basketball, right? Or to have your teacher say, here, trace these letters, and pretty soon you'll be able to write them on your own. But but first of all, you need someone to show you how to do it. You need to be an apprentice. Right? Before you can be a master electrician. You've got to have a model, a teacher, someone who can show you day after day how to, how to learn this skill or, or, or this thing you want, you're trying to accomplish. And God, God has designed us this way. He's designed us to need teachers and to learn by example. And it's no different in the church, in the Christian life. Um, how do we know how to live as a Christian? How do, how do we know to live together as a church of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, on mission for him? Uh, we need an example. When Paul came to the church, uh, when he came to Thessaloniki here, preached the gospel, planted the church, 
He and the other apostles with him were their, were, were their example. He could say to them, you follow me as I follow Christ. You imitate us because we're imitating Christ. So Christ is the great model, the great teacher. And then Paul says, I'm giving you the same, the same example. And now you follow me. So you're also following Christ's example and our example. Um, and the Thessalonian church here, by God's grace, did imitate Paul. And they did imitate, through Paul, our Lord Jesus Christ. And they imitated him so closely that they in turn became a model. They became the teacher, the example, um, that Paul could point other churches to and say, that's it. Look at the church in Thessalonica. Be a church like that. This is a model church here in Thessalonica. It's an exemplary church. What was it that made this church a model church? There's the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God in Christ declared to them in the word of God. Um, The way they heard the gospel, the way they then lived out the gospel, the way they shared the gospel with others. One, One commentator writes about this church here, these wonderful words. He says, in Thessalonica, we see a church that is bursting at the seams with the gospel. They are a church that has embrace the gospel with wide open hearts. They are a church that is rejoicing in that gospel, even though they're suffering all kinds of things. And they're a church that is zealous and effective in their witness so that the whole region around them is hearing about the gospel too. And they're a church that's walking in repentance and faith and hope and love under the gospel. It's no wonder, given all this, that Paul writes of them In 2.20 of this letter, he says, You are my glory and my joy. It's a beautiful church. Loved ones, is it your desire and your prayer that our church would be like that? That we would be a church bursting at the seams with the gospel. A church that carefully looks at that model God has given us and the mission Christ has called us to. We trace it out and then, and then, and then, and then we, 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 and then we learn it, and, and, and we grow in it by God's grace, and we also become a model for others. A church that is devoted to being faithful and praying to be fruitful in the mission Christ has called us to. A, God, a church that is that is bursting at the seams and brimming over with the gospel and witness to others. This is what Christ has called us to be. This is what He's called us to do: faithfully bearing witness to Him because of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to be a church like that, where, does it, where do we start? We start by embracing the gospel for ourselves. Verses 6 and 7. This is our first heading. Embracing the gospel. Verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, starting in verse 7, he says to the church, You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. This is a a young church, a a small church probably, um, but they've become an example to the whole surrounding region. Why have they become this example? Verse 6, Paul tells us that it's because they joyfully embraced the gospel even in suffering. Verse 6 says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit might help to, to get a little background on, on the church here, the, the, this church that Paul planted. We read about this in Acts chapter 17. Paul is going on one of his missionary journeys, 
going from city to city as he, as he did, preaching the gospel and planting churches. Um, he goes to Thessalonica. He's there for some three weeks preaching the gospel to these people. Uh, a lot of the Jews there resist, but a lot of the Gentiles believe. A lot of the Greeks believe the gospel. And uh, even some leading men among, uh, among the, the community are, are brought to Christ. Um, but it doesn't, the, 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 the time of, uh, of peace there doesn't last very long. Paul's, Paul's there three weeks preaching and teaching. And then, uh, soon enough, some of the leading men of the church are dragged in front of the authorities. And, um, and, they're, and they're being accused of trusting another king besides Caesar. They're, they're trusting this Jesus, King Jesus, instead of King Caesar. Um, this is an important. This is a big deal in Thessalonica. This is a. This is an important city. It's the capital of the region, Macedonia. Um, it's a city that has a big heritage. This is where Alexander the Great was from. Right? They, they have. They have. They have, uh, uh, they have. They have some history here. It's, they have. Uh, there was a lot of glory in their past, and they have a special tie now with the emperor of Rome. Close relationship with the emperor of Rome. This, they have the sense of self-importance and, and a particular loyalty to the emperor, to, to the king. And, uh, and um, now here come this, this, uh, these Christians saying, there's another king, not of this world, this king, Jesus. And so all around this young church, there's this opposition, this fierce opposition from the culture around them. Um, they're starting to be shunned by their neighbors. They're starting to be um, uh, shunned by family members. They're started to be. Uh, uh, they're, they're they're losing their place in society. Losing their good standing in society. Oftentimes, in these places where the emperor cult, this worship of the of the Roman emperor was strong. Um, if you wanted to be a member, a good member of the trade guild that you were in, it meant going to sacrifice as your civic duty to to the emperor participating in worship. And if you didn't do that, you couldn't be part of the guild. So, so for the Christians facing these things, if they're going to choose to faithfully follow Christ, it's going to cost them, literally. So they're suffering. Opposition to the gospel that they've received. But not just this, there's also all the ordinary suffering of life that they're going through as well. One of the issues Paul addresses in 1 Thessalonians, is what happens to those who die in the Lord, Christians who die before Christ comes back. Implication, this church has, has lost some people. Some people have passed away. Sickness, old age. And so there, this church is a church that's being persecuted and a church that's wrestling with grief. They're getting pummeled by painful providence, one after the other. How do they respond? Verse 6 says, You received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. They received the word. The word translated received there has the sense of welcomed. They, they welcomed the word. They, they embraced the word. They welcomed the gospel. Um, uh, we're told here that they do it with joy. So even, even as all this stuff is going on, all this painful suffering is happening in their lives, they're being shunned, they're being cut off from their society, loved ones are passing away. In the midst of it all, they're rejoicing as they embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're saying, yes, all this is painful, but I have Jesus Christ. 
I've got my sins forgiven. I have eternal life guaranteed in Jesus Christ. So take all that, but give me Jesus. I'll hold fast to Him. Brothers and sisters, the Bible uh, does not treat our suffering as a dismissive, in a dismissive way, um, as a light thing, as an easy thing. It doesn't gloss over how painful and humbling life is and can be. Um, in fact, there's probably no other book that's as brutally honest as the Bible about the realities of life in a broken, sinful world. The Bible clearly acknowledges grief is bitter. Grief is hard. Losing your health is hard. Makes you feel weak and humbled and helpless. Feeling the dark cloud of depression is hard. And and feeling the chill of loneliness is hard. Um, Heartache, brokenness, suffering is all real. And the Bible is very honest all about that. And and our Lord Jesus is fully aware of all of it. He entered it himself. But um, the Bible is also wonderfully hope-filled. As it, as, it, as it comes to us in our affliction and suffering and holds out to us the gospel. It, what happens when the gospel meets your affliction? It's like, it's like the summer sun coming in all of a sudden. Right? Just warmth and hope. Suddenly, suddenly as the gospel comes in, then, 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 there, then there's life again. And there's joy and there's peace. Um, not, not a shallow joy based on outward circumstances, but the solid joy of the Holy Spirit as Paul describes it here in verse 6. The joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy that God Himself is yours. As you, as you, as you embrace the Gospel in the midst of affliction and pain, as you, re- re- you remember who Christ is for you, what He's done for you, and what your future is, certain, in Him, resurrection life in Him, the promise that He is making all things new, that He's gently disciplining and training you until that time He brings you to Himself. Um, as, as you realize things and grasp hold of the Gospel in the midst of affliction, it transforms affliction into something, yes, painful, but not full of despair, but full of hope. By the grace of God, we are able to rejoice, even in affliction. Have you seen... Have you seen that happen to someone? Have you seen that in a brother or a sister? Um, you don't need to look far. They're all around the room. You can look around and you can see brothers and sisters here who are wonderful examples of, of this very thing that Paul's describing here and that, and that I'm describing. Um, people who've been through a lot of grief and affliction and pain. But you look at them and, and, and there's joy in the midst of it. It doesn't erase the pain, but there's joy there that's deeper than the pain and stronger than the pain. And it makes you say, I want that. I want that kind of joy and certainty and hope. This is what's happening in Thessalonica. Paul's looking at this church. This is what's happening there. People people start to notice these Christians. Joyfully embracing the gospel in the midst of affliction. Weak Christians see that and they're encouraged in their faith. Timid Christians, scared Christians, are, are, they see that and they're, they're, they're emboldened to be a little more faithful. And non-Christians, people who don't know Christ, see that and they say, what is so valuable that it makes the loss of other things not, 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 not wreck you? 
Um, they, they say, why, 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 what's the reason for the hope within these Christians? Brothers and sisters, um, the, the point of this is that whatever your affliction is, whether you've carried it for a week or you've carried it for decades, whether it's big or whether it's small, it's significant. God has a purpose for it. And one of His purposes for it is, is that you, under that affliction, would joyfully embrace the Gospel and by that become a beacon for others of the worth of the Gospel. This is a marvelous witness, a powerful witness. Nothing shows the loveliness and worth of Christ like someone who is rejoicing even under affliction. Rejoicing in Christ. God uses this in the Thessalonican church to make them a powerful witness. So let's, let's consider this now together in verse 8, our second heading. Um, thundering the Gospel. First we saw embracing the Gospel. Now we see thundering the Gospel. Verse Verse 8. Paul says something really surprising in verse 8. He says that the witness of this church in Thessalonica has been so widespread that the gospel has permeated the whole region because of them, so much that he doesn't need to say anything. They're they're putting Paul out of a job. Um, They're doing his work for him, spreading the gospel in the whole region around them. Verse 8 says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Paul says, from you the word of God sounded forth. The words there could have the sense of being, um, uh, they could be translated as, as ring out, thundering out. Like picture, picture a clap of thunder or, or a trumpet blast. Right? This is, this, is, uh, this is something loud. Something you notice from this little church in Thessalonica. The gospel is booming out of this church. They can't stay quiet. They can't stop talking about this gospel. Notice, brothers and sisters, the principle here. They're not an inward-focused church. They're not a self-absorbed church. They've got a wide-angle lens about the purposes of God. Yes, God has a purpose here. God has a purpose through us out there. Wide-angle lens on the church. First of all, we see they're reaching out to their immediate region. Macedonia, Paul mentions. Their witness has gone out to Macedonia. Thessalonica is the capital of this region, Macedonia. So they've been sharing the gospel in their own city. And they've been sharing the gospel in this region around them. Macedonia, they're not ashamed. They're bursting at the seams with the gospel. Talking to their neighbors, talking to their relatives, talking to their co-workers about the gospel. Inviting, uh, inviting neighbors and, and, and friends to, 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 to come here, come worship, come hear the gospel week by week. Brothers and sisters, this is not just something that Thessalonica did. This is something every church is called to do. To thunder out the gospel in our community, in our, in our close community. Um, we are called to reach out to those around us. We are called to speak not to whisper the gospel, to thunder out the gospel. I don't, I, don't mean, I don't mean to be loud and rude with it, but unashamed 
of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, pointing people to Christ, telling people what Christ has done, telling people to repent and turn to Him and embrace the free offer of the Gospel in Him. Brothers and sisters, if we're not doing this, then we are not being faithful to the calling Christ has given us as a church. We are to be devoted to this, reaching out with the Gospel. So talk to that coworker, that relative, that neighbor. Invite them to shepherding group. Invite them to men's breakfast. Invite them to church. Invite them to sit down and read the Bible with you sometime. Speak of Christ with them. Invite your neighbors over for dinner. Get to know them. And, and, and gradually start letting the Gospel show so that they see it and they, they, can, they, can, they, can, they can see the hope that is within you and, and ask why you've got that hope, even in the midst of the afflictions around you. This is what Christ has called us to do in our region, in Limington and around. We must be devoted to this as a church. Let's, let's pray for one another in this. Let's encourage one another in this. But not just in our own region. Look at the model. Our teacher, church in Thessalonica. They spread the gospel in Macedonia. They also spread the gospel in Achaia. Macedonia is here. Achaia is here. Uh, right, on, right on the Aegean Sea in Greece. Um, uh, they, they spread the gospel so far. It doesn't just permeate their own region. It goes all the way down to the region below them. It's down where Corinth is. Um, how are they doing this? Perhaps they're sending out missionaries. Um, perhaps it's, it's word of mouth. Maybe they're sending people to visit and encourage the other churches. Maybe they sent someone to go see the brothers and sisters in Corinth at that church and encourage the brothers and sisters in Christ there. However they're doing it, they're reaching out beyond their immediate vicinity. So we might, we might think about it like this, right? We're called to Limington. We're, we're called to, to, to our region, Maine. We're also called to New England. Right, beyond our, our immediate vicinity, spreading out. We're, we're part of a presbytery. Churches like ours believe the same gospel we do, practice it the same way. Uh, throughout northern New York and, and, and the other states of New England, um, we're, we're, we're not isolated. We're not on our own in our mission. We're working side by side with these churches. So we should be thinking, how, how can we encourage them? How can we support mission works better in our, in our own presbytery, our own region? We're supporting the work in Farmington with Pastor Bickford. Um, we should continue to do that, pray, praying earnestly for them and supporting them as, as much as we can, giving generously to support them. And even thinking of new places where God might want us to plant a church in our presbytery. Paul goes on. There's more. He says, not only this, not only Macedonia, not only Achaia, every place... He says, is he exaggerating? Maybe, just to make a point, maybe. But maybe not. Um, I think he means here that the Thessalonians are not only witnessing to Christ in their own region, in their neighboring region, but also bearing witness to Christ everywhere as they support the work of missions farther away throughout the whole Roman Empire. We, we see, actually, that um, Paul has two companions on some of his missionary work from Macedonia, perhaps from this very church in Thessalonica or another church nearby. Um, they're, they're, so this church appears to have sent out some of its own to go with Paul, support him in his work, 
go to other churches, go, go plant other churches throughout the whole Roman Empire. Um, we read about this in Acts 19. These, these, these two men, Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's, Paul's two companions. We also see in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes about the church in Thessalonica to the church in Corinth, showing them their good example. He says to them, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, Thessalonica, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's saying, we want you to help support the church in Jerusalem that's going through some difficulty. And then he says, by the way, you should see the church in Thessalonica. They begged to have the favor, the, the, the privilege of giving more than they could to support the work of God far away in other churches. In other words, our mission as a church to bear witness to Christ is to Limington and to Maine and to New England and to the United States and to the world. What can a little church in Limington, Maine really do, though? What difference can we really make? Well, we, we do what we can. We, we do use what we have, what God has given us. Our two loaves and our five fishes. And we leave it to Him to bless as He will. We can pray. We must pray faithfully and earnestly. Praying that God would use our prayers to strengthen His church throughout the whole world. Um, I'd encourage you to, to, to devote yourself to praying for our missionaries. Pray for them and your families. Grab a stack of their missionary cards on the table through this door on your way out and take them and pray over them uh, in your family worship or in your private devotions. Um, join us as you can on Wednesdays to pray for the witness of Christ throughout the whole world, to pray for our missionaries. You can, you can write letters and emails to our missionaries to encourage them. Um, tell them you're praying for them. And we, and we can give as well. When, when particular diaconal needs come up, um, we saw the church in Neon, Kentucky experience flooding. There was fun, funds raised for support. Some in our own congregation were very generous in giving to that. It's a wonderful thing. We're, it's a, that wide-angle lens on the work of Christ, not just here, but, but having that wide vision for what he's doing. Uh, we, we can continue to give uh, to, to, to the OPC Missions Fund. This is an important part of our work as a church and our calling as a church to support missionaries as much as we can because we're supporting the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of Jesus Christ when we do that. We should resolve to give, to pray, to support, to encourage, and maybe even to go ourselves if Christ calls us. A short-term trip, a diaconal trip. Let us pray, brothers and sisters, that the Lord would make us a church that embraces the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we might be a church that is devoted, like Thessalonica, to thundering out the gospel. Third thing we see in the text from the model church here, the th third, third thing we learn from this church is to live by the gospel. This is our third heading, living by the gospel. Verses 9 and 10. 
as Paul goes, as he's traveling, he's continuing to travel throughout the region from church to church, and he, he goes to these other churches, and he keeps hearing about the church in Thessalonica, um, about the way the gospel's thundering out in, of Thessalonica, about how God's working in Thessalonica. He comes to Corinth, and someone says, Have you, I, I heard what, what happened in Thessalonica. I've heard what the believers are, are doing there. Um, Paul points to three things in particular that he's hearing about the church in Thessalonica here in verses 9 and 10. Three marks of how this church has been transformed by the gospel. Um, First, verse 9, he says, They themselves report concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. Um, Paul is saying, The church in Thessalonica, good mark number one, they welcomed me and the other missionaries. They, 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 welcomed, they welcomed the leadership. They, they, they welcomed the gospel. They welcomed the word of God that was preached. And they welcomed the preacher of that word, too. And, and, and those who are shepherding them in, in, in that gospel. The principle for us, brothers and sisters, is that to be a church bursting with the gospel and declaring the gospel, thundering out the gospel, um, we need to be a church that's also welcoming and receiving the leadership of that church as, as they faithfully lead in the gospel and as they teach the word of God. Welcoming me, welcoming the elders as, as, we, as we endeavor humbly by God's grace to shepherd you under Christ. Um, God has given us a responsibility for your souls. God has given us a charge over you. It is a joyful charge. And it's the greatest joy when you receive the word gladly as the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica do here we, speaking very plainly, your elders and I love to shepherd here. And we love ministering the gospel among you. And we give thanks to God for you. And the sweetest joy is when we see in your lives an embracing of that gospel, a welcoming of that gospel, and of our ministry among you. Second, second mark of this church they welcome those who proclaim the gospel. That's the first mark. The second thing they do is they, they repent from their idolatry. We see this in the second half of verse 9. Paul says, How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Before Paul came to Thessalonica, preaching Christ to them, they were awash in idols. They had Greek gods. They had Roman gods. They had the ever-popular imported gods from Egypt. Um, they, they, they had the emperor worship. Uh, their entire lives in Thessalonica were shaped by, directed by, oriented around false gods, idols. And then the gospel came. And the gospel said, those are false. Those aren't real. There's no power to save. There's no love. There's no freedom in those things. Those are not the true and living God. There's one true and living God, the Lord Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is personal and powerful and alive and who can save you. And when that message came to Thessalonica, they slammed the brakes on as the Holy Spirit got to work in their lives. And they turned completely around and started going the other direction, away from all those idols and, and heading towards the living God. Paul says, you turned you repented. You turned and, and started serving the living and true God. You, you, you ran away from that old idolatry and you ran toward Jesus Christ. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, to be a church like this, 
embracing the gospel, thundering out the gospel. We need to live by the gospel in our own lives. The gospel needs to get down into our hearts, not stay at the surface level, not addressing this symptom of behavior here and this symptom of behavior here, but getting down deep to the idols of our hearts. Our idols have different names. Uh, the, the Egyptian idols aren't so popular anymore. Uh, Greek gods, Roman gods, emperor worship, but we are just as much awash in idolatry. Anything that we trust to give us meaning, significance, worth, pleasure, more than and apart from God, is an idol. Um, technology, big idol in our culture. The way it absorbs our attention and, and, and we think it's going to be the solution to everything. Politics, it's another one. And, and, and politicians. Entertainment can be an idol. Food, easily a big idol for us. Whether you want to eat too much or you are not eating enough or you've made an idol out of uh, a particular diet or a particular fitness goal that you have, all these things can, can take that place in our hearts of primary devotion. It's, it's good to be healthy and to enjoy good food to the glory of God, but not as the primary commitment of our heart. Not getting sick, that can be an idol. Um, family relationships can be an idol. Success in your work can be an idol. Um, your home, your husband, your wife, your children, a- anything that you say, that, if I had that or more of that, that would make my life that would really make my life happy. That, that thing, if I had that, would give me security and happiness and peace. Anything you find that absorbs your attention, your imagination, your devotion, your love, that, that, that's, that's what you're worshiping. None of those things is worth worshiping. They're dead. They enslave you. They can't save you. Only God, the living and true God, can. So a church that's bursting at the seams with the gospel will be a church of people who are turning from the old, dead, false idols to the true and living God. There's a wonderful old hymn that has a line that goes like this, The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Make you got your prayer. Living like that will make you able to joyfully embrace affliction as Christ gives his gospel to you in the midst of it. It will also amplify your witness. The third mark of the church in Thessalonica here, this model church, verse 10, the third mark is waiting. This is a church that is waiting. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. A church that's bursting at the seams with the gospel, embracing the gospel, thundering out the gospel, is a church with its eyes up on Christ. A church that's not absorbed by the things of this world, but a church that's heavenly minded. A church that's oriented towards the last days, the end. Not, not the details, you know, the, all, all, all the pinning down the particular precise date when Christ is going to come and the, as all these uh, popular pop teachings do. But, but oriented towards Christ coming back. That's what Paul's talking about here. This, this, this church at Thessalonica is a church that is Christ-obsessed. 
devoted to Christ with a fierce devotion, with an ardent love, and longing for His return. A church that is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ because He rose from the dead for us, and He's coming again, and He's going to save us from the wrath of God, and He is going to give us eternal life in Him forever and ever and ever. This is, this is, this is probably the most fundamental thing of all. This, this lies at the heart of it all. A Christ-loving, Christ-trusting, Christ-devoted church is what we see in Thessalonica. And that, that's what our desire is to be. And a church like that will be a church that embraces the gospel in affliction, that thunders out the gospel to the dying world around us, and that walks in faithful trust and repentance and faith in Christ as we wait for the Lord to come. So, brothers and sisters, this is our mission, Christ-given mission, to worship God, to make disciples, and to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our calling from Christ Himself, which He Himself has equipped us for by His Word and by His Spirit. This is our mission, not just mine as your pastor, not just your elders or, or the deacons. This is our mission as a church. Every one of you, Christ calls to this. Every one of us. Let, let us pray that God would make us a church devoted to the calling He's given us in humble reliance on His grace, all for His glory. That, that by His grace and for His glory, we would be a faithful and a fruitful church. And let us, let us, by His grace and for His glory, devote ourselves to be worshiping God with all our heart. By His grace, for His glory, let us devote ourselves to following Jesus faithfully in discipleship. And by His grace, for His glory, let us strive to be a church devoted to bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank You for our Lord Jesus and the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that You have come and You have saved us. Father, we pray that You'd make us faithful and fruitful in our calling as a church for the glory of Christ, our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen.